Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland, as always, and I'm here today with Philip and a few other guests. Um, Philip, uh, if you would like to introduce yourself and then we can kind of go around the uh, digital room as it may be. Yeah, um, my name is Philip Seid. I'm the co-host of Molding Masculinity. We, are, we uh, have a great topic for everybody today, um, a topic that um, we felt um, needed additional perspectives. And we have those perspectives uh, in the form of a pair of guests here who uh, you guys go ahead and introduce yourself, Jack, if you want to start. Hi, my name is Jack. Um, I am transgender. I transitioned from female to male to, uh, yeah, I use they, he pronouns. Awesome, and Allie? And I am Allie. I am male to female. Uh, trans. I transitioned uh, several years ago, have been living my best life ever since. And I use she, her pronouns. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, Tommy can vouch that this has been, uh, when we had a discussion about doing this podcast, uh, this is an episode that um, uh, I pitched as a possibility uh, before, you know, we had even recorded our first one. Um, We'll be talking about testosterone uh, as a hormone and its effects on people, uh, both taking a look at what people think it does and whether or not those that matches up with the reality of what it actually does, uh, as well as just getting perspectives on um, the effects of testosterone from each of our experiences. And, you know, I said from the beginning that, you know, this is a conversation that needs to have uh, the insight of people from the trans community, um, because, uh, you know, it seems like you, you each have a very, would have an interesting perspective on that as, um, most of us, you know, I shouldn't say it that way, like the assigned male at birth people who go through male puberty, you know, uh, we, we have a lot going on around that age, right? Everyone does. And uh, not really paying careful attention to the effects of a hormone on our body in addition to everything else that's going on. Whereas I imagine, you know, you guys uh, get to approach that from a more um, adult perspective. Um, so it'll be, I think it'll be a really interesting discussion. Tommy, do you have anything to add before we get into it? Um, Allie, I think you were about to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, don't worry about saying, about pulling away from saying most people. Most people are not trans. That's just true. Statistically speaking, we're like less than 5% of the population. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As, as Philip said, yeah, that was when we entered this, this was something that we, every, almost every topic that we've kind of started to talk about on the show ends up in a direction of we end up talking about testosterone and hormones and uh, all of those, all of that kind of category of stuff as often used as in, in various different directions when discussing things about masculinity or why men act the way they act specifically is like that, because like a lot of our, what we discuss on the show is the behavior of men and it kind of so often you see it found as a, um, is a scapegoat for different things of like, well, men act the way they act because of testosterone or uh, male presenting people act, you know, like it, 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 in various ways, things get tied to testosterone in a way that, yeah, like, I don't think either one of us can really 
I, I have, like, like I want to take, like, usually what I kind of do is I take like a, an example of something in, in in my own life and run with it. And for me, it's always been like this idea that men fight all the time, that like we can't be trusted. Like uh, you get a bunch of men together and drunk and, or, you know, like male presenting people together drunk in a room and they're going to fight because you got too much testosterone in the room. And I've always thought that's ridiculous. I don't have any, I'm not, I don't fight other men. I'm not out here picking fights all the time. So clearly that is ridiculous and not the case, but also I've never, I, I don't, like, I, that's just me. I don't know. And I mean, like, I, so yeah, I don't know. I think Philip. Well, I think that segues pretty well into the sort of first angle that we hear and something that we've approached a couple of times, uh, particularly in episodes about anger and whatnot, which is that testosterone is often used as a uh, excuse for male behavior. Um, and that can be, you know, it, it certainly could could be a contributing factor, but th there's a lot of things that get sort of hand waved off with, oh, that's just testosterone. Um, so uh, it, I think it could be interesting to go through some of these um, and hear um, y'all's experience. Um, so one thing that we've approached, and Tommy's story kind of hits on a little bit there, is um, testosterone's effects on aggression and aggressive behavior. Um, now, we've kind of touched on it in some previous episodes and gone over some of the scientific reality that's been studied and that testosterone is not uh, shown to increase aggression uh, in people who take testosterone as part of uh, hormone therapy, or it's not seen to be reduced in people that um, you know, transition in the other direction. So um, we, we're kind of, we've kind of been over that a little bit as far as like just a sort of pure science study perspective but what's what's all what are your experiences with you know in going through that process of you know how it how it affects you know maybe aggression or emotion in general um i think I, i'll start on aggression in on aggression specifically i don't think it affected me much at all. I've never been a very aggressive person. I've been in one fight my entire life. And I use fight in the broadest sense of the word, because what happened was when I was in fifth grade, a boy punched me, I started crying. And then another boy punched that boy and they got in a fight. Well, I was crying. So that's the fight I've been in guys. Um, I've never, I've never been like an, I've never been very aggressive or easy to anger. But um, that I didn't notice an increase or a decrease in that when I started estrogen. I noticed some pretty significant emotional effects, but those effects are primarily in the realm of dysphor gender dysphoria causes depression, basically. It, that's the best way to explain it to someone who's not, who's not trans. Gender dysphoria fucks with your brain really badly, and it, like, it has a massive it has a massive effect on your emotion regardless of of what direction of trans you are i i remember when i took my first dose of estrogen at the end of the first day i told my partner hey i haven't thought about killing myself once today which was amazing at the time that's now just the average that's just now a normal day for me but that was that was a sea change at the time um and so 
it made it much easier to be happy. Um, and it made it, it made me much more emotionally resilient, but I wouldn't say it made me, you know, now I cry like a girl all the time, or now I'm way less aggressive or, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it affected my emotions in a way that can be cleanly described in like a gender stereotypes. Okay. I have a little bit of a different experience. Um, I did start to suffer at 17. So there's a lot going on with that anyways, but, um, I'm also, I've never been confrontational, uh, rarely get in arguments with people that aren't regularly in my life. But um, I did notice a big difference in like, not quite aggression, but anger felt different. Um, it's definitely affected my emotions a lot. And when I, now when I miss my testosterone shot, I do um, experience a lot of emotional dysregulation. Um, but I do think a lot of, I guess, like the aggression and why it wouldn't be, I wouldn't categorize it as aggression necessarily, is that, um, yes, testosterone does, I don't know what angry, but it's just, um, emotions feel, well, anger feels heightened. Um, and I had a very difficult time crying for a while. That's kind of gone away. I started testosterone um, in what, September of 2017. So it's been about four years. I have had some gaps in between where I wasn't taking it. Can you describe for me, like what's, um, like you say, anger felt different. It, is there, is there a way, can you unpack that a little bit for me and, and maybe describe like it, what, how was it different? Like what was the kind of the difference in your experience? If you can, if you can put words to it. You know, I guess it's really that I felt it. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot before I started testosterone was, um, my anger was experienced more as depression. Um, and I would get angry at myself. And I think that I did finally start getting angry at other people. Um, and also just a lot of frustration. Um, and, uh, I think that's about it. I want to, I want to actually echo, echo that after I started after I started hormones, it got easier to be angry at other people instead of myself. Interesting. Uh, some of that probably has to do with the therapy that I've been that I've been uh, been going to as well. I was going to say that too. For that yeah. experience, <laughs> going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's interesting because you know you echoing that kind of puts a, puts a lie to it being uh, you know testosterone related, right? Um, because one would expect if it was, you know, at least purely testosterone related that, that you would have experienced, that, that Allie, you would have experienced a, a reduction in some case, or, or, you know, had, had sort of an inverse effect of some kind, but um, you, you saying you went through the same thing while having your testosterone reduced uh, sort of puts an interesting angle on that for sure. Another, another effect that, uh, we have talked about um, in a couple of our episodes of testosterone, or at least a, a rumored effect, is um, effect on libido and sex drive and stuff like that. So, getting going to a slightly spicier uh, <laughs> topic, um, did either of you notice uh, a change in your behavior around that, as far as like um, 
either how your sexuality expressed itself or like drive or compulsion or anything like that like what was your experience uh, related to that if you're willing to share it i uh, noticed a significant increase in libido although also i'm asexual so um it's a little different there's still libido though i'm not gonna explain that whole thing but um, a very significant increase i would say that it reduced my libido but that's a it's a I'm, I thought that doesn't quite capture the experience um one thing that that happens to specifically amab people who take estrogen is uh it makes it so you don't get erections anymore uh and so and so i still experience you know, I, you know, my sex drive is about the same as it was and arousal is about as happens as often. It's just, uh, I don't get, you know, those random boners that happen, hmm. you know, sometimes anymore. And so like, as a, as a, as a man, like maybe you get that ran, you get a random boner just because your body decides it's time to pop a boner. <laughs> um, that might be confused with sex that might be conflated with sex drive um when you may not actually want to to be having sex in that very moment um i as an asexual person um i did there i agree there's definitely um i don't have much, much of a sex drive because i don't really um i'm i guess more demisexual but um don't really have to get into that but uh I do have the libido. I don't have very much of a sex drive. And something that a lot of people don't know about testosterone um, is that one of the first changes that you notice is that the clitoris grows. Um, and so that definitely has an effect on libido. Yeah, and we have talked about in the, um, in the previous episode about how uh, male libido, as it's conceptualized, uh, and the culture at large is largely a fiction anyway. Um, the um, therapists have interviewed lots of men and found that that uh, you know men do this uh, sort of posturing sort of thing of like, oh yeah, I'm so I'm always ready to go. Like I think about sex every three seconds, all the like means that you've heard about that, and they all like completely like do this sort of posturing you know, nonsense, but then like, as they kind of open up and become more honest, they're like, yeah, it's about this. And then, then you compare those to the answers of, you know, uh, women and they're all about the same, uh, once people start being honest, which is kind of an interesting, uh, phenomenon. Uh, but I wonder sometimes with what, with, uh, you know, some of the things that you guys have said here, if it's maybe a, minor difference that like it does have like some effect there and people notice that and they like way blew it out of proportion over time or something like that um because it's sounding like it's you know to me like it's a kind of you know it, it explains some of it but it's certainly not the whole story when it comes to um, the hypersexualization of you know men in society at large and the expectation that that they are sex demons, as it were. Um, I think a lot of it also has to do 
with the power dynamics of sex in our society or um, in, in at least straight situations, the, you know, it's our, our conception as a culture of sex is that the man, you know, dominates and penetrates the woman. And, uh, and so uh, it's viewed as like a virtue for that man, for men to be domineering, but it's viewed as a virtue for women to not be participating in that in the same way of, of like how a lot of how a lot of uh, high schools will have have kind of a boys will be boys attitude but you girls better better keep it pure i would agree there's definitely a physiological component um like i would be lying if i said otherwise but um i do think that uh, being socialized as female um also had a big impact on i guess well i'm asexual so i don't know I, my experience was probably different than a lot of people just as an asexual person. And what we were saying about like, um, like power dynamics. Um, I've also never really been in a like straight relationship. I went from, I'm a lesbian to I'm straight and I didn't really date anyone to I'm gay. So, um, there's not a lot there that I can vouch for. Well, I know, uh, another thing that we have talked about briefly, uh, although not as in depth, and and honestly, uh, this is a bit of a hot button issue, um, or at least it was uh, a few months back at the very least, uh, and uh, the effect of t- uh, testosterone on athleticism and physicality um, is a real um, um, and, and honestly, perhaps. Uh, is worth its own episode in a sense. Uh, it's a bit of a deep well when it comes to uh, the amount of debate that's had about it, at least. Um, but uh, I'm curious what are your perspectives on, you know, noticing f- physicality changes? I mean, uh, obvious effects to um, sexual and secondary sexual characteristics. Um, included if you if you want to share but uh it, it, really interesting on this topic related to like do you feel like stronger or or less strong or or whatever you know as you were um going through the hormone treatments i um as far as like physical changes um there is with testosterone at least um you do experience um fat redistribution so from you know, well, not so much for me, but, um, fat often goes from hips to stomach. Um, and then also I did find it easier to build muscle. Um, although I've never been athletic, that's not, that's not my, my jam, but, um, but it didn't change my drive or my capability of, of being athletic. It just, uh, I did notice I was able to build muscle quicker, but that's about it. And not that it really did much. Um, I can talk quite a bit about this because it had a pretty pretty massive effect for me um, because I am I am fairly athletic. I work out on a regular basis. Before COVID happened, I was um, play, I was playing roller derby, um, but it massively massively reduced my athletic capabilities. Um, it like I I I can't do a full push up. 
anymore. You know, I, I lost the ability to do a full push up when I started E for a while. And, uh, and it, uh, it, it, I lost a lot of muscle mass and I can echo the, the fat redistribution, you know, it moved from, from my stomach to my hips and my butt and my boobs. Um, and it also moves around on your face. Uh, that's, uh, that's a, a slight fat redistribution on the slight fat distribution on the face is one of the primary ways in which, uh, the human brain like quickly decides how to gender a person. Hmm. I noticed a significant uh, change in my jawline. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously not the bone, but the uh, fat redistribution. And then yeah. also um, with testosterone, there, again, with the distribution of fat in the chest, um, a lot of people's chest will get smaller. Um, and redistribute. But, uh, but, but yeah, it massively reduced my athletic capabilities. And, and, uh, and, and on this hot button issue, I'm firmly on the side of, uh, of trans people should compete in the sport that matches their, their gender identity. I don't have an advantage over, over cis women in, in any sort of muscle mass or muscle endurance uh, kind of way that I would have had, you know, five years ago when I, when I started T. Sorry, E, sorry. Um, the only potential advantage is I'm the tallest woman in my family because I went through through male puberty, but I'm not any taller than a lot of cis women. My my fiance is assigned female at birth and is taller and is about as tall as me, maybe in, maybe a fraction of an inch taller. Um, but it, it massively reduced my ability to like maintain muscle mass. And the opposite happens with, with people on testosterone. I remember a few years ago, there was a kid, I don't remember what his name was, but he, uh, he was a 17 year old high school wrestler who uh, he was on T, he was, he was a trans man, but the state of Texas made him compete with the girls because, that, because the state of Texas doesn't believe in trans people. And then he, he, won, he won state just twice in a row with easily winning every match because he had way more muscle mass than any of the of the of the girls he was competing against. I'm definitely not the uh, greatest show of athleticism. I like I said, not not a sports guy. And um, the closest thing I did was marching band, um, which not that it isn't a sport, but definitely different. Um, and I started to my senior year of high school. Um, so I don't, you know, I just don't really remember if it made marching band any easier. That's because marching season was over. By the time I started teaching, that's why. Yeah, it's interesting. A, a lot of the conversation culturally has centered around trans women in sports specifically, like, and I think that's because it um, plays into a very uh, common, you know, stereotype uh and and fear mongering that has you know that's a big problem in media i think there's a a whole um lindsay ellis video about that particular meme um but the it, it's yeah it's interesting thinking about it in the other direction um i had you know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about, you know, well, if you make 
uh, trans people compete in the sport of they were assigned at, for the gender they were assigned at birth, then you know you're going to have what Ali described there of um, people who are taking a bunch of testosterone competing against uh, women and crushing them, uh, which is purportedly the thing that you know, uh, people who care so much about trans women and sports care about. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, sort of an irony, uh, one of those many cases in which people advocate for something uh, and due to their ignorance end up perpetuating and, and potentially creating the very thing that they're trying to stop. Um, anyway, just random thing that yeah. occurred to me there. Well, and I, th I think it highlights the uh, bad faith of their argument of that it's not about any concern for the sanctity of sports. It's about their uh, transphobia is what it's about. Yeah, if these people really cared about women's sports, they would stop being on the women's soccer team anytime, you know, they lose a game and they would, you know, pay those players and they would... Uh, pay the WNBA and they would watch WNBA games and uh, you know they would if they cared about women's sports they'd care about women's sports mm -hmm. I did just realize um, marching season was definitely not over so I want to cut that part and I just have no concept of time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no worries <clears throat> uh so the last thing that I personally had on the list to touch on is a bit more nebulous, uh, which is um, there's this cultural idea that like amount of testosterone is what makes someone manly or a real man uh, to the point that you have like young men who like go to get tested and say like, do I have enough testosterone doctor? You know, am I gonna, I'm gonna be a, a girly man, you know, type of uh, fear. Um, I remember there was a really good, um, as you can tell, I watch a lot of YouTube. Uh, there's a really good H bomber guy video about the effect effects of testosterone and whatnot. Uh, that actually, um, and high testosterone levels in particular, um, being more associated with baldness than uh, <laughs> uh, anything else. Uh, but you know, sort of, what is your experience of of, you know, I mean, it's, it's even hard to pin down what specific question to ask, you know, like, how, how is your, um, I guess, self-perceived relationship to masculinity and masculine ideas and stuff changed as you've gone through um, your transition? I um, personally tend to have low T levels. I actually just had my testosterone increased um, because I just lay pretty low um, in comparison to suspend in a lot of trans men. Um, and while I will say it definitely, definitely has no effect on whether or not I'm a man, um, it does have an effect on um, my masculine appearance. Um, I would say like I cannot grow a beard, which could be genetic, but it's also probably related to my low T. Um, and uh, when looking at this, this is probably just me comparing myself to other trans men, but um, when looking at uh, the way that my body is shaped and redistributed, um, it's definitely different to someone with a higher level of testosterone. Um, so 
whether or not uh, my appearance makes me look like a man, that's definitely not true um, because what you look like uh, is not what that gender. Um, yeah. But it is, it is frustrating to have low T levels and not be able to um, have the appearance that I want. Um, but again, I've had some gaps in testosterone. So that also plays a part in it. I had a couple months where I could, just couldn't do it. I have a tremor. So doing my shot by myself was, I can't do it anymore. Um, and so now it's up to finding someone who can do it for me because testosterone pills will mess your, mess your body up. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, it, I went from even, even before like starting transition, I was like mentally a pretty, a pretty feminine person. And I was just made to feel bad for it by the like masculine socialization people were trying to give me, you know, if a coach yells, you playing like a girl, I was like, yeah, I probably am. Sorry. (laughs) I I guess that's a bad thing. Um, (laughs) I just internalized that 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 was a bad that was a thing that was bad um, about me, but it it just internalized that as this is a flaw of me is that I'm kind of girly, um, but and then I had a pretty pretty masculine body, you know. I had ma- I had male pattern baldness starting to develop pretty young. I had a full beard in in high school, um, which by the way, it was less dysphoric to have a full beard than to just have stubble because stubble is very obviously coming out of my face but a beard is like a whole separate thing in front of my face. So I grew a full beard as soon as I could. Um, You know, I had, you know, body hair all over the place. Um, And then estrogen, you know, reduced a whole bunch of markers of physical markers of masculinity. You know, my, my dick got smaller. I grew boobs. um, My skin got softer. My male pattern baldness reversed completely, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and I got less body hair, but still the same mentally, the same feminine person who was being told to stop playing like a girl all those years ago. Just now I'm like, yeah, of course I'm a girl. What do you want? Yeah. I, um, never been a hyper masculine person. Um, and so to me being a man isn't, I'm also not a non-binary man. So again, my, my experience is different than a uh, binary trans man. Um, I've, I've never been hypermasculine. I did go through a little bit of a phase where I tried to be, um, I think specifically because I was on testosterone. So I just started teaching. So I was like, okay, so now I act like a boy. I act like a man. I do such and such thing. And um, I was actually just talking to someone about this today and saying that for a lot of my life, I have studied other people and um, tried to kind of mimic what they do a little bit but um when I started tea it was significant like I studied cis cis boys because I was in high school um and what they did and tried to do what they did and then eventually I just kind of realized that I don't have to do that um I don't have to I didn't have to be a high school boy and I'm glad that I wasn't so just the way that um, a lot of the boys around me acted I think because being socialized as male um, is definitely different than being socialized as female. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels almost like in this discussion, it feels almost like uh, in a sense, we're all running to meet each other in, in a way, because you know, a big part of our discussions typically on this show is about 
taking this masculine stereotype and deconstructing it and showing that it actually doesn't match reality all that well. Um, and a lot of these ideas that we perpetuate about masculinity and masculine identity are harmful to the men that participate in it. Uh, and uh, basically just that it actually sucks to do this thing that you know makes you a man or whatever. Um, and so like, it's, it's interesting to see you sort of talk about that. It, it feels almost like you, you sort of like, you know, approach it and then like, uh, but because you're coming at it from the direction that you're coming at it from, you, you can see some of the tex toxic elements a mile away in a way that, you know, um, was because we were socialized as men from a very, very young age, we were just completely blind to and just like accepted as children. Like, yeah, this is how boys are and this is how I should be. And uh, to the point that, you know, we can't even see it sometimes. We have to have a whole podcast to deconstruct our own uh, masculine psychologies or whatever. Um, so it's really interesting hearing that. As a, as a small aside, I want to also uh, stick a fork in um, stereotypically masculine like hobbies and interests i'm 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 a pretty pretty femme person um i'm very much a woman but i have i have interests that are a lot of times pretty interchangeable with a random midwestern dad i i like guns and I like football and i like nascar and i like uh world, i think world war ii and the civil war are super interesting so those are all like pretty, pretty stereotypically like manly interests, but. Yeah, and I, I think that's really valid and a part of that whole socialization structure that is like what we discuss as being masculinity. And I think we often kind of take for granted as like just is a inherent like are things that are considered inherently masculine that are purely socialized. I, I, I find myself um i i find myself relating to like a lot of what i'm like hearing of like of 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 of, of like observing other men and then like being like ah like those mannerisms like i need to replicate that because that's how i present like so that i can stop being told i walk like a girl throw like a girl do things like a girl aha I watched these teenage boys do that thing. So now when I'm around my uncle, I'm going to do those things. So I stop hearing those other things. And then similarly, like with hobbies of like, I've, I've argued for like a long time of like, you know, things like I, I'm really big into automotive stuff. And you always hear this thing that it's like a boy's thing that that's for boys. That's for men. And it's like, well, that's because all of these young boys all the way from the time that they are toddlers, you hand them hot matchbox cars and hot wheels and say here th these are boys toys and so then you wonder why 18 years later they're the ones that are interested in cars like you socialized that to be a construct it's not real i mean it is real but it's not you know what i mean i do want to like um so i was never i was not a masculine child uh, like again i'm not a hyper masculine person now um but you know there were things that i like well I, uh, I did try to play, I wanted to play football. And I think that's really just because all the boys were doing it. Um, there was another thing. I don't remember what it was that, Oh, I would call myself. I would when you know, like Dora, um, I was super into it when I was like three. And so I would pretend to be Diego instead of Dora. So I think in these subconscious ways I did, hmm. 
kind of like ask, act masculine, but really, um, I just, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was into dolls and like, like, yeah, like how animals in the way that little girls are. Um, and you know, my, <laughs> I, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a mom and a veterinarian. And, um, and I think those were genuine interests. I don't think that, I don't know, it was definitely not, I guess what I'm trying to say is that not every trans person, um, has this experience where they know from a very young age that they are a man or that uh, I think the gender is a lot more complicated than that um, because I mean I I from a very young age knew that I was queer it just took me a very long time to figure out how um, but I also think that um, my dad did do a pretty good job of trying to I was raised by you know, my mom died when I was little, and so I was raised by my dad, and he did a, do a pretty good job of um, not, like, keeping me from doing masculine things and saying I should only be doing these feminine things, because um, it was just me, me, my dad, and my brother for a long time. So um, I was interested in a lot of things my brother was until I got older, and then I was like, I hate everything that my brother does. But It's interesting. I am reminded, as you guys talk about, this of my youngest child who um, has started going to kindergarten recently and one thing that I've been really afraid will happen is that um, the socialization of a lot of these other kids that I can't control is going to rob him of some of his um, personality Uh, right now you know he is uh, you know you know, as far as, you know, who knows what he actually is, but, you know, as far as I can tell, he's a cis boy, Um, and, but, you know, he loves Ninja Turtles, and, 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 you know, typical, several typical boy things, uh, but he also really likes unicorns, and rainbows, and he wants his room to be rainbows, and pink, and green, and, uh, you know, his backpack is, just like completely covered in just like little rainbows it's the pattern and his the water bottle he picked out to take to school is bright pink with I mean like it is the most stereotypically girly water bottle imaginable and out of all the water bottles in Walmart he picked that one really wanted it and it's like that's awesome that's great I am so afraid that he's going to go to kindergarten and have a bunch of kids who were you know socialized to not be as accepting tell him that's a girl's water bottle I mean that derisive tone that we all recognize as being like you hear the word girl and you can tell that what they mean is bad uh and like I I am vigilant about asking him you know like what how are people talking to you and trying to get him to report stuff to me because I I want to push back on that as soon as I can because it's it's just uh you know like you said gender is more complicated than that and it's it's so dumb for him it would be so dumb for him to to lose his love of of rainbows and unicorns and stuff because some kid with uh you know parents who are not as accepting uh decided to say something stupid to him at a young age when he was hyper impressionable yeah, and, and thank you for being vigilant 
about that because that echoes a lot of experiences I had where when I was really little, like in preschool age and stuff, I was, I was pretty, pretty, pretty girly. I mean, I had some masculine stereotypical interests. Like I was really into tractors, but otherwise I like, I liked dolls and I liked, you know, cooking play sets and a lot of like stereotypically um, girly play sets um, until I got to like kindergarten and that got bullied out of me fast. And so I picked up Yu-Gi-Oh instead. And uh, my mom was supportive when I was little of me having like not so stereotypically masculine interests, which were, which was great. But uh, she, uh, she just kind of rolled with it of like, well, I guess my kid's into Yu-Gi-Oh now. I guess my kid's not into, into that girly stuff anymore. That's fine. I'm going to support my kid without ever like critically examining why that change might've happened. When in reality, it was me, you know, being bullied and trying to pick a more normal interest for a first or second grade boy in 2001, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's very hard. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that uh, I think uh, that uh, children socialized as female or assigned female at birth are a lot less likely to get bullied for doing stereotypical masculine thing. I guess it depends on the thing. Um to be fair, I also didn't really know when people were being mean to me necessarily. So um, <laughs> uh, I just kind of, I just kind of did my own thing as a kid. Um, and a lot of it was stereotypically feminine, but I just didn't really care until, I guess, until like middle school, probably fifth, fourth, fifth grade and up. Um, then I did go through a hyper feminine phase where um, you know, I, I really wanted to like all the things that my friends like, cause a lot of my friends were girls. And so I really liked like One Direction and, um, I'm only 21. So One Direction and makeup. And, uh, you know, I like to have my hair like straightened or curled or whatever. Um, and I, I don't want to say that I didn't like those things because I, I did, but I do think that, um, wanting to fit in with girls um was a part of it but I did have a genuine interest in some of those things or at least I thought I did and then I turned probably 15 14 or 15 and I was like you know I don't think I like that I think that I'm I'm just not like that so I, I thought that I was a lesbian um because again I knew I was queer I just didn't know how um, and so I guess finally finding that uh I am a trans man um, was difficult. And I actually came out as non-binary first um, and then noticed that it was too hard for the people around me to um, gender me how I wanted to be. And so, you know, I turned I know, 15 or 16 and I was like, okay, I'm a trans man. And then probably about six months ago, I haven't, I was just like, like, yeah, I'm a man, but in the way that a Vespa is a motorcycle, hmm. like, you know, like kinda, well, like not actually. So um, yeah, I do think my relationship with gender is uh, complex and not, it's just, I just can't put it in a box of, I think that pretty much everyone knows this way of whether I liked or there was feminine or masculine because Yes. 
I think that, I mean, and that's perfectly valid. And I mean, and that's, you know, yeah, that's perfectly valid. And just as we just, uh, something that Philip can say this better than I can, because it was his words, uh, as we left the last episode, uh, mentioned that like masculinity is not a construction of a construction of other people's. It is a construction of our own and our own. It is what we want it to be. Yeah. And, you know, I've always thought that like, um, that there's a, there's a difficulty in dealing with gender and that like it is a spectrum. And as a result, like anytime you have, uh, and anyone in software will understand where I'm coming from with this. Anytime you have a spectrum that you have to carve up into arbitrary objects, you run into very difficult situations on the edges of those things where you try to draw a line in the sand and then someone points an example right next to that line and says like, well, does this really count as an X? And you're like, ah, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe we get a different one. And if you start doing that, what you get is, you know, you get more and more of those problems, more and more things that slip between the gaps of your arbitrary definitions. Uh, and uh, I say the word arbitrary not to be dismissive of them, but to simply designate that there is a, that the line could have been placed somewhere else and it'd be equally as valid. So, so like, I, I've always felt like, you know, like I, my personal experience is um, I, I feel like a, a man, I feel like a cis man, I'm okay with that identity. Um, but there's a lot of things that people assume come with that, like liking cars, liking certain things, liking football, for example. Uh, that uh, don't ring true to me. Um, I am much more likely to be um, found playing a really emotionally and heavy heavy investment game, you know, where I'm, you know, either like D and D or some video game with a lot of like character choices and stuff like that, than I am, uh, you know, you know, being a linebacker. And so it's like, when, when I think about like, you know, like it's very hard in one sense because like I'm solidly enough in the cis male umbrella that it's easy enough for me to just be like, yeah, okay, I'm probably in that category. But there's definitely parts of my experience that don't quite align with that access specifically in a way that like, I don't, I that I feel totally comfortable, but at the same time, like it's not so far off that I go like, I don't know that I, I feel the need to to put a new label on it. Uh, and so it's interesting because like, to me, that's like just another example of like, you know, like someone who's starting to approach the more closer to the edge of their category definition wrestling with the fact that like, you know, there's something about the core identity that doesn't resonate with you, but, but not like kind of feeling like you're in between categories, if that makes sense, that, that it, to me is indicative of an attempt at language, trying to carve up a spectrum into distinct and discrete categories that just can't be done because it's a spectrum and inevitably you're going to have examples on in what that fit, whatever category you define that kind of call into question that category in the same way that an ostrich kind of defies the category of bird because it can't fly. Um, do we have, uh, so that, 
I am out of things to say or talk about, though this was not about me, so that's good. <laughs> um, I, I I think this has been an excellent uh, opportunity for many of our listeners to hear from a diverse set of experiences. I think it's been an excellent opportunity for me. I know like I'm the person I can speak of the most. It's been, I I've, I've got a lot from this episode now that I want to process and think about. And, uh, I'm really excited to edit this episode so that I can re-listen to this episode and process and think about the things that I've heard here today. Um, does anybody else have anything else to add as we wrap up? I have one last thing I want to add, which is, I've been in a straight relationship and a lesbian relationship with the same person. Um, and so that, <laughs> and so that, uh, that, that really drove home some of the like gendered societal dynamics and expectations um, that we, that we had. Um, I, I started dating my partner, um, Hannah, before I, uh, before I started transitioning or even came out as, as trans. And, uh, and at the time they hadn't uh, come out as non-binary yet. And so we were trying to fit into a gender box that didn't fit either of us where I was trying to be a cis man and they were trying to be a woman and that didn't work out for either, either of us. And it really, um, it took a toll on on both of us because it gave us both like expectations that we didn't really fit into. Like uh, at the time we were also dealing with, you know, Christian purity culture and, uh, and uh, Hannah has a much higher libido than I do. And so anytime we went to talk to someone, like we talked to our priest about the struggles that we were, we were having and everyone would immediately get onto get onto me to stop pressuring, stop pressuring Hannah. And I'm like, I, I didn't, Hannah's the, it's all Hannah. <laughs> no, I, I haven't, I have a lower libido than Hannah does. Um, and like, uh, it, it changed, um, it, it had a much more profound effect on, on Hannah too, than it did on, on me because Hannah was raised in a lot of like, uh, in a lot of like evangelical, um, the wife serves her husband kind of like um, complementarian culture. And so Hannah came into this relationship with like a whole bunch of, of, uh, of expectations about what, what they had to do that I didn't even expect or know what to, what to do with. And a lot of that pressure that Hannah felt from their upbringing evaporated when I started transitioning. Um, the, you know, the, the evangelical purity culture is a wife serves her husband, not a wife serves her wife. That they, they don't like that. So it, it, our, our relationship, the power dynamics equalized because there were no longer external societal expectations that I would be the one who was in charge Very trying interesting. on our relationship. Yeah. I could go on for a while about how I identify with that uh, upbringing and the pressures that it brings. 
possibly a, a topic for another time, but uh, yeah, I definitely feel you. Um, well, I just want to say thank you to uh, both of you. Um, I found this to be incredibly uh, enlightening and stimulating and uh, uh, hopefully a great experience for um, our listeners as well. Um, uh, I know it's not easy to carve out a big chunk of time to share a bunch of personal information with the internet, uh, but I deeply appreciate both of you. Uh, and we'll, we'd be happy to have you back on anytime to talk about more things. Thanks for having us. Um, it was a great, it was great. We had a good time. Or I had a good time at least. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to echo and thank you for coming, um, and joining us here today. Um, I am trying to think of an organization to plug and I am not coming up to anything new that I haven't already plugged multiple, multiple, multiple times. So I'm going to pass the mic on. Um, anybody else have anything they would like to plug? All the Oklahoma parole board. Um, Julius Jones's final parole hearing, which if you're, if you're not aware, I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast is probably aware. Julius Jones is a man on death row in Oklahoma who uh, was wrongly convicted of murder. Um, they, the actual killer has admitted that he is the killer. Like it's, there is another person who claims to have done it and they convicted this man instead. Um, his final commutation hearing is coming up October 5th. And if he doesn't get his sentence commuted, he will be executed on October 28th. So please call the Oklahoma parole board and, uh, and demand that they and also call Governor Kevin Stitt because he is the one who ultimately has the decision whether or not Julius Jones lives or dies. Um, and so call the parole board to recommend to Stitt that they uh, grant that they uh, grant they commute his sentence and call Kevin Stitt's office and say commute the sentence. Is this this is life or death for this for this man Julius Jones? Agreed, a hundred percent. Yes, do that. Alrighty. Well, uh, thank, thank again. Thank you all for joining us uh, this week. Uh, thank everyone out there uh, for listening to us this week. Uh, have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you.